to the last book, last chapter, last book, last chapter of James. James chapter 5 tonight. I do have a goal, and the goal is the whole, book, the whole chapter. We'll see. I do have goals. James 5. Come now, you rich. <laughs> Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. I love James. He says, your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are eroded, are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. And you have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, who cut your grass in the south, which you kept back by fraud, Notice they cry out. And the cries of the reaper have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. And you have lived on earth in pleasure and luxury, and you have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. And you have condemned, and you have murdered the just who does not resist you. Therefore, brethren, be patient. As James wraps up this book, and he wraps up this section of Scripture that we'll see tonight, it's almost like you don't know why he put it in there. Like, why is he all of a sudden just flying off the handle at the rich? you got to understand what it's like to be a Jew in this day and what's going on inside of the, the, the church the church is made up of Jewish believers for the most part. Oh, there's Gentiles coming in. They're, they're coming in, but it's not that explosion yet. Remember, James roughly writing this in the 50 AD time. And so the Jews believed that you were wealthy because of the blessing of God. And if you were poor, it's because somehow you had made God mad. Now, we know that is absolutely not true. Amen? No matter what you hear in the church today, God has not made us to be healthy and wealthy. And he's going to prove that through this section of Scripture. But it was also that God had set a parameter around the work environment in, his, in the law of Moses. It is set out there. And it would seem that James uses this section the first section about uh, against the rich to get into the second section, which is verses seven on. Because as James has been teaching us about suffering and the mature believer, and the mature believer knows how to control his tongue, and the mature believer knows what it's like to endure patience, and tonight we're going to see he also knows how to endure suffering. He's going to, the, the mature believer knows how to deal with injustices in the world. And let me just say this, I know this is a no-brainer, but this, this whole movement today of injustices in our country, it is nothing new. It has been around since day one. Do you know why 
there is injustices on planet Earth. Now, there was a clue in the song we sang. We're all sinners because nobody is perfect. And I don't know if you know this yet, but Jesus is not ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. And we're not with him there yet. And because he is not here, this world is run by sinners. It is run by the flesh. It is run by corruption. It's never going to be fair, no matter what law you do and what you try to grab from somebody else and give it to somebody else. It's all a smokescreen. And what James is going to do for us tonight is he's going to help us. Notice that in verse 7. Therefore, he's going to tie in that rich section to us, he's going to say, therefore, have patience. Be patient. Don't go off on this. And, and let me just say this, and then we'll get into it. This whole idea that the church gets into the social movement. Remember, Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. It, it, they're not going away. Uh, the United States of America has spent $12 trillion on the war of poverty. Is, how's that going? Since the 1960s, we've had a war on poverty, $12 trillion. Is it gone? So it's something that Jesus, it's almost like, hey, if we would just listen to Jesus in the 60s, we could have saved some money. Because you will always have the poor. Now, this doesn't mean that there shouldn't be a system for those who truly need it. But as we know, this world is filled with sinners that like to take advantage of stuff and take advantage of programs. But James is going to declare to us that as believers, we shouldn't get wrapped up in those things. We should continue to proclaim the gospel and then how to deal with those inside of the body. So let's get to the rich. And if you're rich tonight, this is not about you. All right, it is. If you're a believer and God has blessed you with wealth, that's different. And, he has a re- and you have a responsibility to that. He says, come now, you rich. Now, we'll ask James later in it. And like, James, I mean, what are you just like? Is it at the religious leaders, the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Were you just going off? But what it is, is remember that the church has, it, it came out of Judaism. And there's some Gentiles coming into it. And so this is how the world is operating and he wants to tell the, the Christians, listen, I know that you're frustrated with what's going on, but the rich ultimately are not going to get away with what they're going to get away with. But he makes two statements here that I'm, uh, that I'm fascinated with about the rich. One is that they tend to always defraud their employees. I know, think hypothetically. And number two, that the rich have power in the court system. Think hypothetically. And so wealth is not enough. They must have power. And so James is going to say, this is not our home. We're looking to Jesus. And so he says to the rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. A little bit of like, all right, that's pretty exciting. We'll repent tomorrow, but I agree with you. He says your riches are what? Corrupt. And your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you 
and will eat your flesh like fire. Who's liking James? Give him a little high five in heaven. Like, that's awesome, buddy. He says, you have heaped up treasure in the last day. You got to remember, those who don't know Christ, and especially this group of people, these power brokers that we would know today, this is it for them. This is as good as it's getting. And all of the tech guys and all of the, the power brokers in this world, if they don't know Christ, this is it. This is as good as it will ever get. For the believer, this is as bad as it's going to get. It's going to be glorious coming up. And James wants, to, wants them to have the proper perspective. Because what did I say? How did I start this out? In the Jewish way of thinking, to be wealthy is a sign of God's blessing. And James is going to say, that's not necessarily the case now that this new covenant with Christ is in, in place. And notice his example in verse 4 and then in 6. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who, who mow your fields, which you keep back by fraud, listen, they cry out. Note with me that God hears all of the crying out. Even the children of Israel, when they were in bondage, God heard their cry, even though the children of Israel was a Lord, are you not hearing our cry? He heard their cry. He was just waiting for a guy named Moses. And he waited another 40 years in the wilderness to get all of that Egyptian out of Moses so he could be used. He says, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mow your fields you've kept back by fraud. Laborers were hired and paid by the day and did not have a legal contract. There was no OSHA. There was no labor boards. There was no poster up, right? You go into your work environment and there's the poster of all that you're protected. There are no rights in the ancient world. If you went to work for some guy and you were picking apples or you were cutting grain, and at the end of it, he says, hey, I saw you eating an apple. I'm not paying you for your entire, what are you going to do? Where are you going? You're not going to OSHA. You're not going to the labor board. There is no protection for you. The only protection was in God's word. And if they didn't want to pay you, they didn't pay you. Again, people were oppressed and they oppressed the hired servant. Typically, that hired servant was poor. Deuteronomy 24 says, You shall give him his wage on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and he sets his heart on it, so that he may not cry against you to the Lord and it become a sin to you. So the children of Israel knew what God's word had said. Now, different than our world, you get paid every week, every two weeks. Some of you get paid uh, every month. They got paid every day. So before the sun set, Deuteronomy said you were to, to pay them. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man excuse me, are not to remain with you all night until morning. The idea was at the end of the day, you were to pay him. 
So James says they are keeping back by fraud. He says, but the cries of the reapers have reached the, the Lord of the Sabbath. Just so you know, this is free. You can write next to it. It's Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, we all think, we look at Jesus and we see the meek and mild lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But he is coming as the lion of the tribe of Judah as well, to rule and reign as king. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to stand before him and say, hey, I didn't want to pay my employees. Now listen, on a broader, uh, let me just speak broadly here, as applying to the body of Christ, you better pay what is owed to those you know. You know what is some of the worst testimonies that I have heard as a pastor? Is that people not paying what they owe to somebody else and then calling themselves a believer, especially to somebody who is an unbeliever. What a terrible testimony. Listen, let me give you an example. This just happened to us up at camp. So there was this pine tree we had up at camp, huge 200-foot pine tree. We knew it had to come out. The bottom of it was rotten, but it was leaning in such a way we all knew that if we decided to chainsaw this thing down, it would all go bad and it would probably crash through one of our shelters or a car or both or the house. So we said, listen, we're going to get a tree guy. So Ed calls this tree guy up. The guy comes out and says, don't you love tree guys? This, they say the same thing. No problem. There, there is never a tree a tree guy can't take down. It's always no problem. Okay, he gave us a quote. I know what tree guy is charged, so we figured, okay, that's not bad. It's huge. We just want him to drop it down. Then we'll cut it up and we'll use it on the property. So he's got equipment. I'm sitting there at the porch. I've got my camera. I'm filming. I'm like, this is great. This guy's been doing this for 30 years, right? He's going to drop it right where we want because we have trees all around, and we don't want those other trees hurt. Amen? I'm like, this guy's a professional. Anybody know where I'm going with this? <laughs> you're like, I can tell. You're telling a story here. and it's So I'm filming it. And the, one of his guys was supposed to pull the equipment because you have a rope on top of it and it pulls the tree down. When he, the guy did a perfect cut on the bottom. Well, his, his worker, I don't know, wasn't alive or awake or something, but he didn't pull and the tree snapped right down on one of our hardwood trees and just went boom and just cracked in half. And I'm filming it and I dropped my, my phone. I was like... Now, I did not jump up, run to the guy, and yell at him. I'm growing. <laughs> right? I mean, normally you'd be like, what? And run over there, and you say, ah. And I just sat there. I was like, oh, what are you going to do? Well, Ed's sitting next to me. Next to me, he sees it. Bill's there. They see it from a different perspective. And I'm still just sitting there calmly. It's amazing what the power of the Holy Spirit can do, amen? I mean, we are being transformed, and I don't got it all right all the time. And so the guy, you know, the guy has to make that walk. 
right? People who make a mistake, they got to make that walk. And I felt bad for the guy, right? He walks up and he just said, you know, it's my fault. I'm the boss. And I said, yep, you're the boss. It's all on you. He goes, well, you don't have to pay us. And I said, listen, the Bible says a workman is due his labor. And I think I shocked the guy. It's like, it's the upstate. It's kind of the Bible. Up there, it's like the buckle of the Bible belt up there. But he's like, no, 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 we'll, we'll do it. We'll cut it up. He ends up cutting up the entire tree, putting it on a burn pile. He cleaned up the entire thing, something that we were going to do ourselves. But he did it. And I wanted him to know that even though it was a mistake, he still was due his labor. I had made a contract with this guy to drop the tree. He dropped it. <laughs> right? He technically did what I asked him to do, just not on the tree that I didn't want him to drop it on. The funny thing is, we thought he was going to drop it on this one tree, this cedar that we didn't care about. Never touched it. <laughs> Never touched the tree that I... Uh, Listen, as a believer... Pay your debts. Don't be like this group, James says. And even when you don't think they deserve it, let the Lord handle it. It's such a great testimony. He says, you have lived on the earth, speaking of the rich, in pleasure and in luxury and you have, you have fattened your hearts in the day of your slaughter. You're living this life for all that it has. The poor don't have that. But pretty soon, they're going to be having the marriage supper of the, of the Lamb. But notice in verse 6, we got to get going. He says, you have condemned. and You have murdered the just. And this is speaking about court in a system. And listen, there's nothing new under the sun, isn't it? If you have enough money, you can get out of whatever, and it doesn't apply to you. And the more money you have, you would think, well, they're content with that. No, they want power now. And they want to control and dominate. And if I had more time, I would just start listing people's names. And you would know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not enough just to invent a, well, or steal an operating system. But now you want to control the farming of our country. Oh, and maybe have the patent on all the vaccines, but I won't list his name. Or go after anybody else that dare says anything against it. it. Says, you have condemned and you have murdered the just. And he does not resist you. So then he says, therefore, and he wants to make the contrast. So this is what they do, therefore don't do what they do, body of Christ. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it? until it receives the early and the latter rain, you also be patient, 
establish your heart, for the coming of the Lord is at hand or is at nigh. Now, that word patient means using self-restraint. Let me read you a couple of the other definitions from Thayer's. It's, It's really good here. To be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. Now, I like that because what he is saying is you're seeing what's going on in the world of injustice, right? You're seeing things that are not fair, but don't lose heart. Why? Jesus is coming. (coughs) He says, to persevere patiently and bravely enduring misfortunes and trouble. Doesn't that sound like the heart of a believer? Our role as a believer is to persevere patiently and bravely enduring misfortunes and trouble. To be patient in bearing the offense and the injuries of others. And to be mild and slow, listen, in avenging. Everybody got it now? He says, you are not to take what the world would do. As a believer, we have a different role. Now, we're not all there yet. Jesus got angry. But the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. And he's saying is, let the Lord take care of all this. He says, our perspective is always the return of Christ. Notice the times that he says the return of the Lord. Let's read it again. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of our Lord. By the way, do you think that Jesus is a better judge than we? Yes. So let's let our boss take care of it. Lord, this is your issue? This injustice that I see with my boss or this or that, Lord, I hand it to you. And I patiently await for your coming. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting for, the, for it until it receives the early and the latter rain? You also be patient. Now, that's emphatic there. That means you must be patient. How many of you are patient? <sighs> Nobody. We have... a. Listen, we're Americans. We want our hamburger in less than one minute. Amen? And if it doesn't, why are... If I can't have it my way, it says it right on the sign. We love everything to... We're just that way as Americans. I love going overseas. And you ever been somewhere overseas and the food takes forever to come? You're like, what are they doing? Are they killing the cow out back? Are they growing the mushrooms under? It it takes forever. We do not have patience. And then we bring it into our life as a believer. I expect my marriage to be perfect. Lord, I prayed. Lord, I did this. I expect this to happen in my kid's life. I've taught them the Bible. How dare they walk away from their faith? And we go through these things, 
And, and James is continually to, to remind us, you got to be patient. He says, establish your hearts. Make firm what you believe in your heart. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at, is at hand, is, is nigh. And then he says in verse 9, don't eat each other. That's what the word grumble means. Don't devour one another, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Don't you love James? Several times he said, knock it off in the body of Christ. Stop going. It's, it's hard enough, guys, to live on planet Earth, is it not? But then to come into the church and get eaten by another believer? To get ripped up and down by a believer? To be judged by another believer? James says, knock that stuff off. Stop grumbling against one another, lest you be condemned. I, I love it. He goes, our boss is showing up soon. And notice, he's the judge. I've said this before. We make a lousy Holy Spirit, and the job's already taken. So let God do the work. We don't need to do that. In your relationship with your spouse, your kids, you do what God has called you to do and let him do the rest. Behold, the judge is at the door. He says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And that word take means this, bring before your mind. He says, take the prophets and, and focus on them. Take Jeremiah, for example, no one got saved in his ministry. How depressing is it? No wonder why the guy is the weeping prophet, right? Nobody listened to him. At one point, it was said he was the only one in Jerusalem that was trusting in the Lord. How depressing is that of your ministry? Lord, uh, you can imagine this conversation. Uh, Jeremiah, yes, Lord. Um, are you ready for ministry? I'm ready, Lord. Put me in, coach. Whatever you'd have for me. All right, well, here's the program. I'm going to send you to Jerusalem. No one's going to listen to you. Why would you send me there? Because somebody needs to cry out. No one's going to listen to me? Yeah, in fact, they're going to put you in a pit. What would we say if we were Jeremiah? But notice, Jeremiah threw the suffering is an example of his patience. And you could go through the Old Testament and find example after example. In fact, he tells us the greatest example of suffering and patience in the Old Testament. Did you already see it? It's in the verse. Let's read it. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. He says, haven't you heard of the perseverance Job, and seeing the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. By the way, this is the only mention of Job in the New Testament. Isn't that interesting? It's like no one wants to bring up this guy's name. Like, if we bring up, he's just depressing. But notice what James says. 
not only am I going to bring them up, I'm going to bring them up as an example of God's love and God's compassion. Let's look at it. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. You heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. Now, I would normally take us to Job and go through this, but we are about to go through the book of Job on Sunday morning right after Revelation. So we're going to learn about Job. We're going to learn about who he is, his family. You know, Job, I think, would have done way better if he had just read the book of Job. Like, can you, can you imagine? I think personally Job wrote Job. And as he's writing it all down, and the Lord's like, all right, well, let me tell you what happened with this whole thing. You're going to get a chuckle out of it. Oh, really? Yeah. So Satan showed up one day in the throne room, and we were talking about you. Why are you talking about me? And he's writing chapter 1 and 2, and it, he starts to understand. But he doesn't know what's going on. But at the end of it, God blesses him. And that is what James is saying. He said, the perseverance of Job and seen in the end intended by the Lord. Know with me that Job and his life, God had an end. It was never going to be forever. I think we often forget that our suffering has a beginning and it has an end. And Job demonstrates that. Notice that he says that through this event of Job's life, it shows us that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, how do you get that until you get to the end of Job? doesn't seem very compassionate and merciful until you get to the end of Job, where Job is bestowed upon him more children, more land, more everything. God was loving. He says, above all, my brethren, do not swear. Now, they were big in, at, at swearing in the Jewish community. Now, we, we read swearing and we're thinking of a whole, whole different thing of swearing. I ho- hopefully you're not thinking that right now. But our, thi- our definition of swear and theirs is different. They would swear by the temple. They would say, okay, I'm going to deliver to you five goats, and I swear by the, the shekel that's in the temple. Now, ha- how many of you have ever heard, uh, I swear by a stack of Bibles? Why would you need to do that? I swear by Saint whatever. I swear by my, on my mother's grave. Why would you even do that? That seems mean. This is what James says. As a believer, whatever you used to do in your former life, as a believer now, you're totally different in the commitment and what you say that comes out of your mouth. And he says, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do it, as a believer, do it. You don't have to swear. I swear by the Lord that I'm going to be there and take you to the airport. No, James says your character should show that you're naturally going to do what you said. 
that you're going to do. You know, people, we're not going to, I'm not going to, no one be condemned right now for a, a couple of seconds. We all know people like this. You call them up, hey, I'm going to, I'm coming. I'm going to help you. That Saturday, nowhere to be found. Next time some, hey, I, sorry, I had this thing and whatever. I, I'm really going to come this time. And at some point, you just stop like whatever. Like if they show up, I'll be amazed. And James says, don't do that. As a believer, what you say needs to translate in what you do. It's not just words. Even John says that in 1 John. Now, he wraps it up by saying, is there anyone among you suffering? I know no one is, so let's move on. He says, if anyone is suffering, let him pray. If anyone is cheerful, then let him start worshiping the Lord. Sing songs. He said, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So as a believer, because I know that the coming of the day of the Lord, he says, I, 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 my perspective is always the com- coming of the Lord. The perspective is always the body of Christ and that I'm going to get involved with people's lives. Is anyone among you suffering? Well, yeah, we all, because we, we live on planet Earth then pray about it. James has already said you have not because you ask not. Now, just in your own heart, I don't want to condemn anybody. How many of you never prayed about something that you should have prayed about? Like I was going through something and then somebody else said to you weeks, months, years later, well, did you pray about that? Oh. You see? So James just brings a no-brainer, and he says, hey, are you going through something? Pray. Let me say it in, in, a, in the way that we have here at CCMB. Are you going through something? Put it on the prayer chain. Now, I don't need to know the details, and no, nobody else needs to know it. We are a very private people, are we not? We don't really like to give a whole lot of detail, and we think that, well, you know, we put on this facade, I'm a, I'm a super Christian and a believer and nothing. No, things go wrong all the time, right? I was supposed to get on an airplane on Sunday and be in California, and, and listen, I'm bummed that I'm not there just being by my friend's side, helping him out teaching at the church right now. I already said, whatever you need, man, I'll come out and help teach whatever. Then I'm, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, what was that for? Why am I like, and I don't mean to, you know, play the sympathy. I was dying on Sunday. After service, that was it. It had wiped me out. I went home, and death. You know, there's a difference between men and women. Let me, this is free. 
Here's the difference between men and women. Maybe you've already figured this out. Men, when we're sick, we just want to be sick, left alone, hide, covers, whatever, let us die. Right? Bring us some every once in a while. Women want sympathy, want you to take care of them. My wife, come check on me. I don't want any of that. I don't even want sunlight on me. I just want to die. That's free. So that's what I did on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. And this morning I was thinking, oh, I feel a little bit better. And then my head said, no, you're not. And then I thought, so then today I get this message about my friend Chris and my family. And I'm like, I don't get that, Lord. I don't get that at all. And you know what? I may not get it. But we, as believers, need to pray. Are you going through something? Pray. Put it on the prayer chain. And by the way, this is the other thing is, when it's done, let us know. So we can give glory to God. Hey, we've been praying for that for five years, ten years. Listen, sometimes God allows us to go through whatever we're going through to continue to get us to a place of continual prayer. He said, is anyone cheerful? Are you happy? Then worship the Lord. Guys, we should be the happiest people on planet Earth. Let me just give you the easy one because we're not going to burn in hell. On top of that, we get to be around other weirdos. It's so cool to, I don't know about you, and if you've spent some time here at Calvary, you'll notice what's cool about our church is that we're a tourist church. We get people from all over the country. Isn't it cool that people walk in our door every Sunday, every Wednesday from all over the country, all over the world, and they walk in and they worship and we have Jesus Christ in common. That's joyful. You don't get that at even a Rotary Club meeting. You'll understand that. Now, he says in verse 14, something that's different than the suffering is verse 14, which is if anyone among you is sick. And the Greek is this way, and let me paraphrase it. You have no strength, you can't get up, you've exhausted your medical whatever. So if you're in that state, then what does James say? Call for the elders of the church and let them pray for you. Pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. When we ask for help, it is very, we're, we're very vulnerable at that moment, are we not? Anytime we ask for help, because we like to have everything in control, and when we ask for help, right? Oh, man, that is, we're going to see that in a minute. It's getting, we're not done. He's going to tell us to confess our sins one to another. And when we do that, it becomes freeing. Let's keep going. So call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you. Pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Look right here. This is anointing oil. You know what this is? It's olive oil. 
It's not magical. It's just oil. Why do we have it? Because this verse tells me I'm an elder as a pastor, any of the elder. We take this and we put it. It's more about being obedient than this. This is not magical, nor is my prayer magical. People often think, well, I'll go up and ask the pastor to pray for me. He's got a, sh- a shorter phone to God. No. I have the same access that you have. My prayers are not super, some, I don't want to blow anybody's bubble here, but uh, they're not like super spiritual. This is the problem we've had in the church, that we think we needed a confessional and we needed this person to go in between us. That's not what it is at all. He says, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. Now, without getting into a doctrinal debate with some people inside of the church, does God heal everybody? No. Why did, uh, I was going to say Peter, why did Paul tell Timothy to have, and I'm going to paraphrase for our modern language, have a little cough syrup every once in a while because you're getting sick. Have something for your stomach, your constant. Have some Pepto-Bismol, Timothy. You got those, that stomach issue all, and in their day, it was have a little wine. It didn't say get drunk, Timothy. It said and didn't drink it all the time, Timothy. He said use the medicine of the day, Timothy. Now, if we would believe some of the people today, apparently, Timothy and Paul didn't have enough faith. How dare they? not have the faith that saves and heals. What about Paul's own life? He prayed. I don't know how many times he prayed, but it specifically says that he asked the Lord three times to remove the thorn from his flesh. Number two guy in the Bible. God said, nope, I'm not healing you of that because I'm going to use that as a buffer, Paul, for you to stay humble. Why does God choose to heal and not? I have no idea. Is it for a purpose? Probably. Will we know here on planet Earth? Probably not. I just know, and maybe you know, that you've gone through what you've gone through. You're closer with the Lord. Or now you're closer with other people in the church. Because you've gone through something, something medically, and you all prayed and what was God doing? God was not, God was bringing that little group together. Tighter and tight. Would you have been that tight if you weren't praying? No. Oftentimes we have no idea what God is doing, and that's wonderful. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and so the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. The idea was if this, if he is sick because he has committed sins. Now, he says in 16, confess your trespasses to one another. Our problem is we like to confess other people's trespasses to one another. But that's not what it says. It says confess your trespasses. Now, I want to caution everybody on this. What James is saying is that you should have 
somebody or a couple of people in your life that you can go to and you know it won't go any further than them and they will be able to encourage you in your sin, in what you're going through, in what you're struggling with and you get, and they're not going to expose that on the outside. And by doing that, we become vulnerable. Yes, I know that's that word again. Men, we don't like to be vulnerable. And when you share something with another man, hey, I'm going through this. Can you help pray with me? Can you keep me accountable? Can you ask every Sunday, how are you doing with? And when we do that, when we pray for one another, oftentimes we are healed of that. Why? Because the affected fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. James says, I don't know if you're catching this, But James is wrapping up these five chapters, and he's telling us about how that we're a mature believer. And you know what a mature believer does at the end? He gets involved with other people's lives. Not in a busybody, nosy, gossiping way. And if you do that, we'll mark you in the church, and we'll put your your face on the screen. We know how to shame people around here. That's not what he's saying. Don't you confess other people's sin. And don't mask that in a prayer meeting. We got to pray for him. Oh, really? Isn't that funny how that always is? Oh, really? Yeah, we got to pray. No, no, no. You should be able to have somebody, verse 16, in your life. We've got to do a better job, church. in being open with one another. He's going to tell us that Elijah was a man of like passion. Um, I I love how people, when they come in for counseling sometimes, uh, and I I say this just to let them know right off the, what you're about to say to me, there's nothing new under the sun. You're not going to shock me. So just reveal it. Let's get it out on the table because most of the time it's just speaking it and the freedom. I I had a a gentleman decades ago, had some issue. He came to me. He said, hey, I'm having this issue. And he said it to me. I prayed for him. And I don't know, a couple of weeks later, something goes, it's amazing. I said, what's amazing? He goes, when I simply confess that to you, God removed that desire from me and took it away. And I don't have a problem with that anymore. I was like, what? God is good, isn't he? In order to see God operate in our life in a real way like that, you got to sometimes be real with people. Boy, that's so hard to do. So confess your trespasses one to another. And then he says... To back that up, he says, hey, Elijah was a man of the, the same nature as ours. He says, listen, Elijah wasn't some super prophet. Now, he was. I mean, it's pretty cool, the whole fire thing. 
But Elijah was a man of like passion, the same nature as us. And yet, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. God was working through Elijah for a purpose for Ahab and Jezebel, right? You go to Israel with us, we go up to Mount Carmel, we see where the battle happened, right? I mean, when you read that Elijah was a man with a nature like us, uh, uh, like passions, you know, there he's, he says, if yours is the God, then, you know, uh, let fire come down from heaven and consume the altar. It, if Jehovah is the rule, then fire will come. Regardless, whoever God triumphs on the mountain will be the God. And they're like, okay. So the prophets of Baal, right, they're all there. They're yelling it, crying out to the Lord. There's Elijah sitting in a lounge chair, sipping on a drink, enjoying the spectacle. And then he starts trash talking him. He said, hey, maybe your God is on vacation. Hey, maybe your God can't hear. Maybe your God is, well, relieving himself. Now, that's something I would say. That's what James says. He was no different than we were. But he prayed earnestly. And God used him for that. Notice, he prayed again, and the heaven opened up, and it rained. And then he says, lastly, in 19 and 20, he says, brethren, if anyone among you wonders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he, he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And then he just ends. It's like, James, you don't want to comment on that last two verses because it's going to be in controversy for the next 2,000 years in the church. Thanks a lot. But it is. And people write books about this and try to figure it out. But let's look at it briefly. He says, brethren, that leads us to believe that this is a believer. He says, if anyone among you wonders, and that word wonder, it's interesting. It's what the Greeks called for the planets. See, they didn't know that the planets went around the sun. They just thought they wandered around. There was no real order. So they called the planets wanderers. And so here's a believer that knows, listen, the truth, but they've wandered off of it. We, we might call them a backslider. They know what's going on. You've seen them in church. They were fine. They've been going to men's Bible study, women's Bible study. Man, they're always at church, and then something starts to happen. And you stop seeing them. And they're not involved as much. But you're the one whom God has chosen to be the vessel in their life. Remember the part about being mature and being in people's lives? Being involved? James says, and if one of you turns him back, 
the idea is putting him back on the right path. It's no different than the military uh, illustration that somebody is out of step. Remember, Paul would always say, no, mark the one that is unruly. That means he is out of step with the rest of the believers. So mark that person. But he's, James says if someone turns them back, let him know that he turns a sinner from the errors of his ways, and he will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So what does that mean, Pastor? I've got no idea. Now, I have a little bit of idea, but I can't tell you concretely what this means. Save him from death. I doubt that's eternal damnation because he is a believer. But it does mean that God oftentimes pulls a believer home um, prematurely to save them from a life of destruction or hurting somebody else. Paul said that. There are those among you who are doing right. Remember Corinthians? He goes, you guys are coming to the, to the, uh, to the love feast. And that was just a bank, you know, a potluck. He goes, you guys are doing it wrong. Some are you sick and some have died. And the idea is that God had to remove you. Remove a believer that might cause more harm to themselves or to somebody else. But I love this phrase that he uses. He who turns a sinner from the air of his way. Please, when somebody gets unruly, somebody walks out of order, it is always their fault. It's their error. They are erring. But they always want to say, well, you know, this is just what I believe now, or this is what I'm doing now, or my favorite all-time terrible excuses. Well, God said it was okay if I could live with my boyfriend or girlfriend. You know, I prayed about it. You're like, what? That's stupid. Feel free to use stupid anytime when you... um, I think sometimes we need to call people out on things that are not biblical. Like God, God did not tell you that. God never told anybody to marry an unbeliever. You're not one, like you're not the special case in the universe. That never happens because God doesn't go against his word ever. He says, I will lift up my word above my very name. So God's not going to contradict himself and go, oh, well, things are different in 2021. That COVID thing changed my mind. I'm, re- I'm relaxing the sins now. That's not what he does at all. You can tell I've been ill, haven't you? My family's gone. I got the cat and the dog, and they're driving me insane. By the way, this is just free. Uh, Anyone else have a cat that, like, in the middle of the night comes right up to your face? That's evil. I have that cat. So let him know that he who turns a sinner from the air of his ways will save a soul from death. Notice, and cover those sins. Because when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from how much? All. You mean the years that I was stupid doing my own thing out of order? Yes. Can we all testify? Who who was that? I was that. My stupid 20s. 
You know how bad it was for me? I was so self-deceived. You know what I thought? I thought, man, I was raised in Calvary Chapel, you know? Prophecy, end times, I knew all that. You know how deceived I was? I thought, man, when the rapture happens, I'll get my life right. That's a dangerous place to be. That's where I was. God saved me from that. He saved me from the drinking and the womanizing and all of that. Everything that God has saved us from. We all have different testimonies of that. And we know what this means to have our multitude of sins forgiven. Because Jesus has set us free. Well, read ahead. Next week, we start in the book of Psalms. We'll be there for a while. (laughs) Woo, we'll be there for a while. But listen, God is good. Psalms is one of the best that you're... But I want to make this statement because as you read, I don't want you to get overly excited in the Psalms because you're going to read something like, Lord, break their teeth in their mouth. And you're like, yes! Oh, it's the New Testament. So things in the, in the Psalms are applicable, but not all of them, to the church. Great wisdom. So read chapters 1 through 5 for next time. Let's pray.